Okay, so let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Let's just begin with a word of prayer. Father, we do, um, our hearts are broken for families that have lost loved ones in this state, as well as the two other mass shootings that happened in the last several days. Lord, God, we are burdened and broken for our country. Lord, our country is broken. It's, it is in desperate need for the gospel. There are so many Christian churches meeting today. And yet, God, our country is so lost. Our neighborhood is lost. Our neighbors are lost. Lord, we <clears throat> want to talk about answers this morning. We want to talk about your heart and your mind. About what is evil and how we overcome it. We ask you that you would bless these words just for your purpose and for your mind's sake in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. First John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, We know that we are of God. I love how the Bible defines things. It begins with always who we are in Christ. Paul, when he was dealing with the complicated issues, the defunctional church in 1 Corinthians, how did he start? He spent several chapters talking about who we are in Christ. Whenever we're dealing with issues, wherever we're dealing with society or our own personal life, always begin with who you are in Christ. Amen. If you have something in your life that you're, that you're disturbed about, limitations, failures, cyclic actions in your life, don't begin with how I'm going to fix myself because we don't have the answers. We need to go to the Word and we need to start to digest who we are in Christ because as we begin to digest who we are in Christ, that we are loved, that we are cherished, that we are the apple of his eye, that our sins have been set, have been, have been set um, apart from us as far as the east from the west. This is the gospel that we need to preach to ourselves every morning. Amen. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in what? The power of ESV here says the evil one. I know King James says uh, lies in wickedness or in the Greek it's poneros. There's actually two Greek words for evil. One is kakos, which means intrinsic, which is in every person. And then poneros, which is an evil that's infectious. It's like a disease. Um, Evil is not content just to be evil. It needs to be infectious. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, the first part of the verse says, Evil men will go from bad to worse. From bad to worse. We know in Matthew 24, it's describing the last days that the love of many are going to wax worse and worse. And so we are in a, we should not be surprised about the age that we live in. And we should be prepared and we should be equipped as the church of Christ. Because I think a lot of people are asking a lot of questions right now, right? People are wondering what is going on and why is this happening? And I think that the talking points are missing, they are missing the points. And so there's just four things I want to talk about this morning with you, and I just want to look at these things together. Number one, when we talk about evil, no one suffered the impact of evil more than Jesus Christ. Let's just start with Jesus Christ. Let's start with what he suffered, not only at the cross, but when he suffered from the time he was born, through his life, growing up, up until the time of his death and resurrection. No one suffered more than, than Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus went beyond even the worst human suffering. Think about that. Went beyond the worst human suffering. Experienced incredible rejection and pain that exceeds ours indefinitely 
infinitely as his knowledge and power excels ours. God takes our misery, and I want this to be clear to us in the first point this morning, that God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to experience it himself. Okay, I think that sometimes we think, does anybody else in this world experience my suffering or my questions or my issues, my pain? Listen, let me tell you something. If you have not had major betrayal, failure, um, sin, or brokenness in your life yet, it's coming. And I, I don't want to scare us, but I want to tell you that, that, that we need to understand that the, that the, the enemy that the, the enemy is a roaring lion and he is seeking who he may devour. And you know what? He wants to devour Christians. He wants to devour young Christian couples. He wants to devour young people. He wants to devour our kids. And he is on the move. But let's take hope because God is always one step ahead of him. And so we need to understand that God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he took it upon himself. So if we embrace the teaching that we find in the Bible that Jesus is God and that he went to the cross, then we have a deep comfort in knowing the strength to face the brutal realities that we see in our life. We are seeing brutal things happen in this world. That was El Paso, uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, other places. But what if it would happen in the woods? What would happen if it would happen in spring? We had our own catastrophe with with, uh, Harvey a while ago. Pain and suffering is part of the world that we live in. I think that we need to be prepared for it. That's the first point I want to make this morning is that when we suffer, the prophet Isaiah said this. He was quoting God's word when he said, when you suffer, I am suffering. Jesus experienced every form of pain, every, every level of rejection that you and I could ever experience. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. Because he loved humankind. Jesus chose to stay engaged when many people would have just left and said, I don't need this. Jesus stayed in. He stayed in the relationships. He stayed in, uh, he stayed in society. He stayed in this world because God so loved the world. And this is the first point I want to make this morning is that God takes suffering very seriously. I think that when we see suffering... When we heard, when I was listening to the testimonies on TV last night, uh, people, what they saw, just incredible. I mean, you go to the mall on a Saturday morning back to school, and you go to, you know, to, to do these things, and you find, I mean, you see this happening, and you actually lose a loved one. How do you grapple with that? I think the first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus was there. God lost a son. Have you lost a love? Have you lost a child? I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine losing a child. That is just, that is, just, that is off the charts. And that's something that I pray that would never happen to any, anyone. But God lost a son. And he didn't only lose a son. He lost a son to a very rebellious, horrible, unthankful, corrupt, degenerate world. That Jesus, the good, he's the, he, was the, he was the incarnation of good and purity and selfless giving. And he poured out, when you think about Jesus' blood being shed, he poured out every drop of his blood. Every drop came out. Now, he didn't reserve anything for himself. And he poured it out willingly. And when you think about what God had to go through as a father, I can't even imagine that. That's just, can you? I mean, that's just unbelievable. I can't even imagine that. God knows our suffering. Matthew 6, that God knows what we have need of. How does he know? The Greek word there means that 
It means to know by experience. And what that means is, is that God, through Jesus, understood our human, our, human, our human brokenness, our human imperfections, our human pain, everything. He, he been, he's been there, and God has a word for that. God has a word for you and I. And guess what? I may not know. Have you ever been in a place where there's so much suffering and you have no idea what to say? I was. I've been there many times. And I think that the temptation, when you see a plethora of suffering, to walk in and start talking. Have you ever had that situation where, where you feel like you've got to say something? You've got to feel like you've got to identify. I remember being in an airport in Ukraine, sending off a visitor that had come to visit us. And I was at the airport, and there was this older couple there. The airport was very small during, during the communist days. The airport itself was probably no bigger than this school. We were all waiting, and I had sent off our guest. And uh, suddenly, we are, I hear this commotion in the corner of the, of, the, of the hall. I look, and there's a crowd of people forming around this older couple, this older woman. And I look, and there's an older man just laying on the floor. And he had just, he had a massive heart attack and died right on the spot. And I was watching what was going on, and there's that moment when you see a number, and the woman was just crying, screaming. She was a lot of, I mean, she was just, they were married over 50 years, and she was just distraught. You can't, I can't even imagine, I can't even repeat or describe the sound that a person makes when they see someone die like that. And so people just kind of stood there and did not know what to do. No one knows how to handle suffering. No one really knows what to do. And people just kind of stood there, and then they just kind of walked away. And this woman is there by herself over her husband. And so when I, I went over, and I said, Lord, how do I, how do I comfort this woman? And God just reminded me of Job's friends when they came and they were, when they were surrounding Job. Now, Job's friends were not mature people. They were kind of really immature. One thing they did right, they spent seven days and they didn't say anything. I think that there's sometimes silence and just being present is, is really what people need. So I sat there and I put my arm on the woman's shoulders and I just sat there and just was just with her. Uh, she was weeping, and, and at the end, when they were taking her husband away, uh, it was just such a, such a sad moment. I said to her, I said, here's my card. I said, please call me if there's anything that we can do on the pastor. And she did. She called me a week later. We met her and ministered to her. I think sometimes, uh, and there's a very wise verse, Amos 5, verse 13. How many know what that says? Amos 5, verse 13. It says, in the days of evil, don't talk a lot. Don't talk a lot because the days are evil. I think when there's a lot, when there is evil, I think it's wise sometimes that we would just be in, in silence, be in prayer, and then wait for the moment. We see that with Jesus when he was standing before Pilate and he was standing before all of his, all of his um, trials. He was silent. There's a time when we are just quiet and just present. Say, so, you know what, I'm here. I don't have Because, you know, I, honestly, I don't have a lot of words for people. Many times I don't know what to say to people. And I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. I think a word said out of, out of the, that's not timely is really going to be destructive. And so the first thing I want to say is that God knows our suffering. God knows what's going on. He's been there. He's experienced it. And yet no man has ever experienced the suffering that Jesus has. So now this is our starting point. So when we look at suffering that's going on in the world, when we see kids dying, when we see people losing their lives because of their faith, or when we see something happening, locally in our own neighborhood, we can know that Jesus has been there. He knows. He knows what 
social suffering, racial suffering. He knows what uh, ethnic suffering. He knows the suffering on every level because we can see it in the Gospels. Number two, if God is so good, and maybe you know the answer to this, but I still grapple with this. If God is so good, why does God allow bad things to happen to innocent people? That sounds like a basic question. Sounds like something that we talk about in Sunday school. But I just want to read something that I read from Augustine last night. I think it does a good job. I don't agree with everything that Augustine, um, his theology later on. But he said this. He said, and listen carefully because it's, it's old English. And I'll try to explain it afterwards. Since God is entirely good, he would permit evil to exist in his works only if we were only if he were so good and omnipotent that he might bring forth good even from the evil. Are you catching that? Therefore, it pertains to the infinite goodness of God that he permits evil to exist and from this brings good. What verse does that remind you of? Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? That all things work together, not for everybody, but for people that are called according to his purpose, that love him. That love God that are called according to his purpose. If God is so good then, and, and he would permit evil, then there is something in that that he wants to reveal about his goodness. Now, the question comes up, well, I think that, I think that people that are looking at what happens in the world, that looks, at, that looks at the injustices, the pain, the evil that's in the world, and can say, well, I don't see anything good in that. Jeremiah 17 says this. It says that the man who trusts in the arm of the flesh, the man who trusts in himself, the man who is manipulating and controlling his own life in the, in the wisdom of his own mind and his own carnality, the man who's in control of everything does not see the good when it comes. They see it and they're going to find a way like that, that there's a problem with that. They don't see the grace of God when it comes. They can't rejoice in the small things. I'm saying, I don't know, I've lived in countries, I've visited countries that have been, that have been desolated by, by, by war, xenophobia, and just craziness. I've seen families. I know a mother who tracks through with her daughter, tracks through the forests of Bosnia, running from the Serbs as they were, as she, and she would only travel at night for three days, she did this. Her husband was massacred during the Yugoslavian war, and she just barely escaped, escaped with her life. And her testimony was that God was good. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand what, how can she say that, but God in some way showed himself to her that she, that he could, that she could understand. And if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Well, I'll tell you why. We look at Job, look at Job. God, and this is very good. I think I, want, I really want you to, to get this this morning. God only allows Satan to accomplish the very opposite of what he intended to do. You get that? God allows Satan to only accomplish the very opposite of what Satan wanted to do. Okay, yes, he lets Satan as a created being function and do what he wants, but it's limited. Because God has a bigger plan. See, God is much bigger than Satan. God is much bigger than the mind of man. That's why it's hard for us to comprehend these things. There are theological aspects that I'm, I think it's okay for us to walk up to a certain line and stop there because it's infinite. It's, it's, we are finite creatures. 
when we're talking about evil, there are some things that maybe we don't understand, but one thing we can default to, and that's the nature of God. We can say that God is good, and we can trust that. We can say, God, I don't understand, but I know you're good, and I'm going to trust you for this. I, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen in my life, but I believe that you're good. When we see Job's suffering, he said he gives only enough rope to Satan to hang himself because God hates evil. God hates evil. He permits evil and suffering to come into our life to, de- to, de- to the degree that it would defeat the intention of Satan for you. you. Get it? God allows Satan to function only to a measure to where it would defeat his purposes and actually promote you and I into the kingdom of God, knowing God. Everything is for our sakes. Health issues, trials, financial situations, betrayal, someone leaving you, a death of a loved one, personal failure, personal issues in our lives that nobody knows about. This is for your sake. This is for our sake. This is something that God has allowed that the devil thinks he's got some kind of victory in, but but God only allows that to the measure to where... You are, made by, you are made great by it, and you are promoted in the kingdom of God. These are called momentum trials. You know what that means? It means that a trial that comes into your life that is sent to you to, to increase your momentum with God. Amen? Yeah. To increase your walk with God. This is something that God allows in our lives so that it increases our, our faith level, or our trust in God. These are the answers that we can give to people. Here's the third thing. I like this. And you may not hear this preached, but if you read the Bible correctly, and if you read the Bible clearly, you see people getting angry at God, don't you? Job 23. You ever get angry at God? Pour out your heart to God and say, I have. Not once. (laughs) Say, God, what's going on here, you know? Like, why? You know, the big, big why. Job 23, verse 3 and 4. We can see Job. He's saying this. I want to read this verse to you. Oh, that I might know where I could find him. That I might come even to his seat. I would love to lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments against God. Have you ever felt that way? If you haven't, maybe it's coming. I don't know. But there are times when you just want to lay it out before God and say, God, I do not understand your plan. I do not understand why this happened to me. I don't understand why this happened to my family. How could you do this if you... And you know what? The attack of the devil on your life is for us to doubt the goodness and the grace of God. And that is why we need to think with God. We need to process your life and our life, the the details of our life with the Word of God. And just go to the Word and say, what does the Word say about my life right now? I think most Christians, the average Christian goes to church once a month. Most Christians are not, they're not in the Word. They're not reading the Word of God. They're in in self-help books. They're reading other stuff. You know, it's great to read other authors. I'm all about reading other authors. But let's be in the Bible. Let's be in the Word, okay? Let's hear, I mean, you and my wife and I, we're not perfect in this. We really try to have, God, we really try to have Bible conversations. Like, honey, what, what verse is God speaking to you? And in the last few days, I've just been praying with my son at night give a big hug and I'm hugging him and I'm praying just a short prayer over him before he goes to sleep and it, you know what it's changed his sleeping patterns it's unbelievable it's amazing I think the average Christian is not in the word and when we're not in the word we have no sword against the enemy you know 
be in the Word, okay? Don't just be in the Word on Sunday. Be in the Word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Let God speak to you. Receive from God. Because if... Anyway, Job 23, verse 7. And it says, and it says he said, If I could appear before him, I would fill my mouth with argument. But in verse 7, he says this. He says, But there is an upright man that could argue with him. There is. Who is that? Who is that upright man that could, that could place the case of the victim before God's throne? Who is that upright man? It's Jesus, right? Jesus, our advocate. He, he places our case before God. Not that he has to try to convince God, but he's our advocate. How many of you have ever had to hire a lawyer to represent you in a case, in a situation? I don't know if it was a good or bad experience, but you had someone appearing before you, before the judge, that had some more clout than you did. We have an advocate, and he is making our case. Do you feel betrayed? I'm not going to speak a lot longer here. Do you feel betrayed? Have you failed? And you feel like God is like, you feel like you failed God. You have an advocate. Did you get a speeding ticket? You have an advocate. (laughs) Has something happened to you? Are you actually at fault? Are you the perpetrator? You have an advocate. You have an advocate. And he's making your case 24-7. It's not only Monday through Friday from 10 to 5 p.m. It's every day 24-7. Why? Because we have an accuser. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, who, who accuses you day and night. You get accused when you're sleeping in your dreams? I do. <laughs> During the night, I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking like, man, I wake up in the middle of the night, but what is going on right now? I'm an advocate. He pleads my case against the evil one. And the evil one has no place. I was thinking about Zechariah chapter 3 this week. You know, Zechariah chapter 3. I don't know if I preached this or not already, but there was a high priest I did last week, right? The high, the high priest, Joshua. He is the high priest of a brand new work of God happening in Jerusalem. All the Jews are coming back from, not all the Jews, but 2% of all the Jews are coming back from Babylon and they're restarting, they're rebuilding Jerusalem. And there are these crazy, there's this crazy local mafia called Sembalat and Tobiah and these guys. And every time you read the list, it gets longer and longer as you read through the book of um, Nehemiah. And they're accusing, they're accusing the builders. They're saying, who are you people and what do you think you're doing? Who do you think? Only 2% of the Jews left Babylon to come back to Jerusalem to build. Wild. That's crazy. You'd think all the Jews would come. No, 2% come back. The remnant, and they come back and they're building. And Zechariah, who's a preacher during that time, is, is talking about something that was going on in the heavenlies and the spiritual realm. And Joshua the high priest, supposedly we don't know a lot about Joshua the high priest, but he was a high priest during that time. And there was something wrong in his life. He had dirty clothes, he had dirty garments. And he was standing there before God serving. And guess what? On the right-hand side is the devil, the accuser, accusing him day and night. Do you feel accused? Have you, do you, does your own conscience accuse you? It does. Because when our conscience is not washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ, we're going to live in self-accusation. We have an advocate. We have an advocate. So when we look at victims in the evil world that we live in, when we look at, look at victims of an evil person or, or circumstances, we can say they, those families have an advocate. Those families have an advocate. Number four, and the last point, is that we as Christians have resources 
to face the evil and evil times. We have answers. We do. And we're the only people in the universe that have any answer for what's going on in the world today. We're not, we're not walking around asking about motive. Because we know the motive. Motive is that there's an evil nature in man that seeks to dominate him. The flesh. We understand that. We have answers. And these answers are far, more, are far more powerful than anything that their secular culture can offer. I think one of those answers is this, is that what you're suffering today, today is not because of past sins. Past sins have been paid for. I think sometimes when people suffer, and I've even heard, actually heard Christians say this, that they're suffering because of their sins. I would like to say this, that suffering, there are suffering of consequences, but there's mercy. But I'd like to say this, is that when we suffer, God is not paying us back for our sins. That is pagan thinking that's dualistic and in the philosophy that's not the way God functions Luther said this he said suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you if we don't know that God is for us Romans chapter 8 if we're not being transformed in the spirit of our mind in Ephesians chapter 4 if we're not understanding in, in, in Romans chapter 12 that our mind is being renewed and we have no way to understand calculate or define or grapple, put our hands around what's happening in this world that we live in. Suffering is going on, and we can tell people that something good is going to come out of us. So, what's our response, and how do we deal with how do we deal with evil when it comes at us? And eventually, it's going to come at you if it hasn't come at you. You're going to sense it. You're going to be like, you know what? That's more than a person. That's something demonic, right? That's more than a a, a group of individuals or a society or group or whatever. It is that is something demonic coming against you and I. How do we deal with that? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Romans chapter 12, by the way, is a chapter about how a transformed Christian lives in this world, not being conformed to the world and the world's way of reacting. The world will say, you know, you got rights, fight back, do this, do that. You are you, you shouldn't allow that to happen to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 tells us something different. It says this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Period. I love that. Vengeance is the Lord's. It resolves a lot of pain. It resolves a lot of anger in our life. It resolves a lot of, I'm going to get you back, tit for tat. All this craziness that goes, this petty living. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If we don't understand that, we could actually be hindering God from working in somebody else's life. When I try to extend vengeance, and when I try to avenge myself, I am actually going to be hindering God from working in that other person's life. When I say, you know something? Vengeance is the Lord's, says the Lord. It doesn't mean just stop there. Verse 21 says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you don't, we need to understand what this is, because it sounds like that we're supposed to be pious, fold our hands and let people beat on us. What this verse is saying is, is that we, we understand that vengeance belongs to the Lord, that God's going to deal with circumstances, God's going to deal with evil, but we don't need to be overcome with it. We don't need to live in the depression of it. When, something, when somebody's been victimized as a child or as an adult, 
You and I don't need to live in the victimization feelings of that. We need to understand that the vengeance belongs to the Lord. And how do I overcome that pain of betrayal and the pain of abuse and the pain of, of neglect or whatever that is in our life or whatever that looks like? How do we overcome that? We overcome it with divine, godly, divine God's goodness. What does that look like? What does that look like? What does that look like on the practical level? Well, number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a daily thing, by the way. It's like I have to... There are people in our life that we're going to have to say, God... And every day we just have to say this, God, I forgive them. It's not just the... For God, it's a one-time thing. For us, it's a daily thing. A daily acting and participating in the forgiveness of God. Even if it's forgiving ourselves. If we're the perpetrator, we say, God, forgiveness. I'm going to overcome evil with goodness. And that it means, in this case, forgiveness. The goodness of God being shown in that person's life. What else does it mean? It means this. It means that I'm going to function in the sphere of God's goodness instead of living in the, in the effects of evil. Okay. Now, what happened in El Paso is, is unbelievable. It's shocking. I can't, even, I can't even figure it out. And we can ask all the questions why, and we can talk about that. Or we can look at this and say, you know what? We live in an evil world. We have a devil that's just roaming around the world like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But functioning in the realm of God goodness means this, that that devil is limited to what he can do and he's limited by the grace of God, meaning that though this was horrific, though this happened, we're not going to be talking about people paying, being paid back for the sins. We're going to talk about how in this evil, broken, crazy world that something beautiful is going to come out of this. And that actually may mean forgiveness. I'll close with this story. Do you remember uh, in Turkey, there was the Stein family. You ever heard the story? The Steins? Okay. It was on the national media several years ago. Missionaries in Izmir, Turkey. They were serving. This mother, this is husband and wife, had a small missionary team, and they were teaching. They were having, they had Turkish disciples coming every, every week coming in the room and they were teaching. One day, the, uh, as, the, as the husband is teaching these Turkish disciples, one of them closes the door and they begin to torture the guy to death. Very gruesome, horrible story. I won't go into details. But it was unbelievable what they did to this guy. And he died. And he died. And it was in an apartment complex and people could hear the, the yelling and the screaming. Nobody did anything. The wife, after she heard about it, after the whole authority was over in Istanbul, was approached by the media and, she, and they asked her, what do you have to say to the perpetrators? And she said, God forgives them. I forgive them. And you know what? In Turkey, for a period of time, I'm told by Turkish people that the word Stein actually became a word, an adjective to describe ultimate forgiveness. The whole nation heard about forgiveness of Jesus Christ in the loss of her husband. Is that something that is that something good? Yes, it is good. And there's other things that happen from that. This may go beyond our, our mind. This may go beyond our understanding. This may go beyond our desire and our impulses and our anger. We, we have to trust that God has something good in this and that something good will come out of it. And that's how we are not overcome and destroyed by evil. Because when we are victimized, the temptation is to be destroyed by that. Amen? When we are victimized, 
let's abide in the goodness of God. Let's abide in understanding. And when we do that, we are heaping coals of fire and judgment on the evildoers. Just let God deal with it. And God does deal with people. God will deal with people. And we can rest in that. Because all things work together for good. For them that love God and that are called according to His purpose. Amen.